came from a little town in Greenville, Ohio, a little town in Ohio, and I went to Bible college. When I was in my town growing up, I sang in the church choir. It wasn't a really big church. It wasn't really a big choir. But I loved to sing in the church choir. I sang in the school choir. We had a nice program in our school and it's small uh, groups that was a part of that. But when I went to Moody Bible Institute, they had a thing called Oratorio Chorus. They would perform, they would sing Handel's Messiah. And there were 200 voices in that choir and those kids had sung before. I remember the first time that I gathered to sing, to practice Oratorio Chorus at Tory Gray Auditorium, they handed us this big score with all this complex music. I'd never sung it before. And all the upperclassmen seemed to have it memorized. I was overwhelmed. I was just in awe of all those voices singing that complex, beautiful music, Handel's Messiah. The idea of Handel's Messiah was to reach young people, you know. It was an oratorio. This was, uh, this was uh, something that they would do in secular, in, in secular culture. But somebody had the idea that young people would come if they would take the story of Saul or if they would take the story of Jesus and they would put it into an oratorio, if they put it in the public. And it, it actually considered blasphemous initially by some people because of the unusual format, you know, that they sang it in. But then eventually it gained traction. They say when Handel was commissioned to write it, the, another had gotten all the texts of Scripture. It's all Bible. It's, all, it's the story of Jesus in Old Testament and New Testament Scriptures, as you know. It's all Bible. He went to a room alone and he wrote furiously. He probably stayed awake at night and didn't eat. His servants came and brought him food. He rarely ate any of it. And they've, since they've gone back, and, and the speed with which he wrote this huge score was amazing. While he was writing about Jesus, he, here's, here's the, the, the experience that he had, especially as he considered the text that he wrote about that we're going to preach from today that was, tra- that was given in the, in the chorus as what, what's known as the, the Hallelujah Chorus. The text that we have today is the Hallelujah Chorus of the Bible. And Handel said, I did think I did see all heaven before me and the great God himself seated on his throne in the company of millions of angels. You remember that when we started a long time ago, a little over a year ago, to preach through the book of the Revelation, we said one of the things that's a key to unlock the meaning of the book and to see the scope of the book is to always ask ourselves the question, where are we now? Where am I now? Because there are two basic places, maybe three. There's you're even in heaven or you're on earth. It's like the perspective from heaven or the perspective from earth. In chapters 2 and 3, we have letters to the churches. In chapters 4 and 5, you have the vision of the throne room of God. In chapters 6 through 18, you have a, a record of the tribulation and of the great tribulation of the seven seals broken and judgments pouring out on the earth, seven trumpets sounding and judgments pouring out on the earth, seven bowls emptied in judgment upon the earth. But in between, you have visits to the throne room of heaven. You just, to understand the book, you always want to ask yourself, where am I now? Am I on earth where there's chaos and heartache and demonic oppression and difficulty and hatred and rebellion against God or I am in, or I'm in heaven 
where Jesus is exalted, the Lamb and God on the throne and the angels and the four and 20 elders and the living creatures and the millions of angels are always worshiping God there. Where am I now? And you see this in the climax of it, you see in this chapter, in chapter 19. Because in chapter 19, in verses 1 through 10, which we will preach from today, it's just an exhibition of joy in heaven. Something happens that makes them very joyful in heaven, and they use a word that's never used in the New Testament anywhere else. And it's used over and over again here. This is the only place in the New Testament where the word hallelujah occurs. And it occurs in critical times, four times. Hallelujah occurs in the Old Testament, usually in the context of God judging his enemies. 24 times in the Old Testament, only four times. This is the only place in the New Testament. And you have the hallelujah chorus of the New Testament in chapter 19. You have in verses 1 through 10, you have joy in heaven. In verses 11 through 21, which Lord willing we will consider next week, you have judgment on earth. Jesus is coming to earth to complete the judgment on earth. So this joy in heaven, verses 1 through 10, there's judgment on earth in verses 11 through 21. But finally, there'll be joy in heaven and joy on earth. And the prayer that the saints have prayed for 2,000 years, uh, Lord, bring heaven to earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it, is, as it is in heaven is the theme in the whole Bible. And it comes into completion in this text. So you have this scene in heaven. You have in the first chunk of it, you have in verses 1 through 6, you have this comparison. It's the completion of the comparison with the harlot that we were introduced to in chapter 17, which is a worldwide anti-God religious system. Instead of called the bride, which the church is the bride of Christ, this false religious system is, is called a whore in the Bible, called a, called a harlot. And this system is judged um, and, and judged by God. But the completion of that judgment is in verses 1 through 6. And this is where the hallelujahs burst forth. And then there's the presentation of the bride in contrast to that in verses 7 through 10. And you have the marriage of the, of the lamb. And you have the marriage supper of the lamb in verses 7 through 10. And so in verse 1, you have the sound of a multitude praising God for redemption and salvation. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. And guess what they were saying? Isn't that fun to say? They were saying, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Salvation belongs to God. And they're singing hallelujah. There's a sound of a multitude praising God. And they're praising God for Redemption, and in particular, they're, they're praising God for salvation or for redemption coming to earth. You know that redemption word is a word that has its roots in the buying and selling of human beings for slaves. One of the darkest and the, one of the filthiest kinds of things that sinful people do. Can you imagine buying and selling another human being as a slave? And the picture that's given for redemption is that 
God comes and pays the ransom price for the slave, and you and I are the slaves that have been sold to Satan to serve Satan. And Jesus comes with his blood. He pays the ransom price, and then we're set free. The word for that is redeemed. And we are redeemed. We're slaves set free by the blood of Jesus. But then this redemption, this full deliverance, this salvation is going to manifest on earth during this time. It's about to be all the things that were, we received by faith and don't see become sight here. This is what's going to happen in this text. In verse 1, there is this. And by the way, you're going to have antiphonal praise. One group is going to praise, and another group's going to answer, and another group is going to answer, and another group. This is an echoing of holy, holy in the heavenlies. This is some sweet stuff. So there's the sound of a great multitude praising God for his justice in verses 2 and 3. For his judgments are true and just. He's judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged her blood of his servants. And once more they cried out. What did they cry out? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're getting better. The smoke goes up forever and ever and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down. Don't, don't misunderstand no one's getting judged here who didn't have repeated opportunities to repent. If you've been here with us for this study, over and over, God sends angels to preach the gospel. God sends witnesses to preach the gospel, miraculous witnesses, 144,000 Billy Grahams to preach the gospel. Birds flying over, every imaginable opportunity to repent, these people have resisted and rebelled against God. So now the judgment is come, and it's righteous. And these, not only have they rebelled against God, but they, you know, imagine they've, they've persecuted the saints unto death. They've, they've butchered, they've murdered Christian people. And so you have this, then, that, so you have these sounds, the sound of a multitude, then you have the sound of the, of, uh, the, this, great, the, 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 this great multitude praising God for salvation and then praising God for justice in verses 2 and 3. And then you have the sound of the 24 elders and of the four living creatures. I'm going to do something a little different this weekend. I'm going to talk about who are the 24 elders. Some have suggested, who are these 24 elders? It matters who these 24 elders are. I'm going to do a little video this week, and I'll, I'll release it later. You can watch it online. I won't make it a part of the message today, but it's fascinating just to study the detail of where these, what did these 24 elders say as it goes through this book in Revelation, and where do they pop up, and what do they say? Who are the 24 elders? But always in heaven, you've got these 24 elders surrounding on thrones, surrounding the throne with crowns, dressed in white, and they're praising God. And the four living creatures, you have these high-ranking angels, the, the four living creatures, and they're praising him for his greatness in agreement. And that's in, in verse 4, for the 24 elders and the four living creatures. And, and are they standing up with their hands uplifted? No, that would be appropriate. But what are they doing? They're falling down on their face. They're worshiping God who's seated on the throne. And what are they saying? Hallelujah. You're getting better at that. I want to get y'all warmed up so when you go to heaven, that won't be odd for you. They're like the Baptist people over there. They say amen all the time, but they don't say hallelujah very much. Charismatic people are going to have to help us on that one, brothers and sisters there. And so, and so um, say, they say, what do the, the 24 elders and the four living creatures say to the one who's seated on the throne? 
they say hallelujah. And then in verse 5, from the throne comes another voice, or from around the throne, or on the throne, around the throne. Praise our God, you his servants who fear him, small and great. And we won't emphasize it this week, but we'll do it next week. This is parallels that run, multiple parallels that run through this. The righteous and the unrighteous, the harlot and the bride, many, many parallels. We'll talk about it, about it next week. But, but notice that just a noisy praise, noisy, loud, it's described like thunder, it's described like a waterfall that thunders. Um, here you have in verse 5, the voice around the throne saying, hallelujah, small and great. And then in verse 6, the sound of the multitude again, praising him for his reign. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, and they're crying out, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. For the Lord God omnipotent is ruling. Now, he's about to rule on earth. He's ruling in heaven. He's about to come and rule heaven and earth. So they're saying hallelujah for the fourth time. And then rejoicing. Then continues with a celebration, a great celebration of the groom who is Jesus' relationship to the bride who is the church. This is verses 7 through 10. Let us rejoice, exult, and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. It's granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. God has enabled through sanctification, through justification, and through sanctification for his saints to be clothed in righteous deeds. The angel says, verse 9, to me, write this. Write this down. Hey, you're not writing. <laughs> write this down. Can you imagine? John's like, oh. it's like, write it down. Write this. Are you taking notes? That's what he's saying. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus, when he was on earth, they said, you don't, you, uh, uh, you don't fast. He said, that's because the bridegroom is here right now. When the bridegroom goes away, then they'll fast. But when the bride and the groom are reunited, there's going to be a party. There's going to be a feast. That's what the Bible says. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said to me, these are the true words of God. Now he falls down. Verse 10, John, he falls down at his feet to worship him. Like that's oops, you only worship God. But he's just in such awe of this angel. He goes to worship the angel. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The stuff that Jesus said is the essence of what is of the message of God. The stuff that Jesus said is the essence of the message of God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is what the angel says to him. And so this rejoicing continues in the marriage of the Lamb, verses 7 and 8, and in the marriage supper of the Lamb, verses 9 through 10. What are they going to eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb? There's nothing in here about quinoa or tofu, I noticed. <laughs> she didn't say anything about that. There's no kale in this. Might be there, but it doesn't say. The text is silent about this. I'm going to go no kale, quinoa, or tofu. <laughs> I heard a Bible scholar say that, so I figured that's, that's probably true. It's going to be like steaks eatery every night. And they say in hallelujah a lot, praise Yahweh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Hallel is praise, Yahweh, praise Yah, 
That's what hallelujah is. It's a transliterated world, and it's like that. They say all around the world, in every language, people say hallelujah. They say there were two fellows on a ship, and there was a bunch of debauchery on the ship. There was a bunch of drinking and carousing, carrying on drunkenness and immorality on the ship. And these two guys noticed each other that they weren't kind of fooling around. But they didn't speak the same language. They didn't know how to communicate. They would kind of look at each other when they would walk past each other on the ship. And then one day, a guy had an idea. He goes, hallelujah. And the other guy goes, amen. And then every time they would see each other, one would say, hallelujah. And the other would say, It's kind of tepid. Keep working on that. Keep working on it. I love you. You know that. There was some pastors in India. A guy called me from India on my computer one day. I'm just studying, and a guy calls me. And he's a pastor in India, and he calls me and he says, I, I would love for us to connect our ministries. Like, I don't know how to do that. So I answer his call. I'm talking to this guy from India, this pastor from India. I feel way out of my depth. I'm like, he's like, I would like you to teach my pastors. I'm like, from what I've heard about what God's doing in India, I would like the Indian pastors to teach me. God is at work in India in a way he's not at work in the States. They say if we want to have revival and evangelism in the States, we should go to India and figure out what they're doing. We should go to China. We should go to Iran, Iraq. We should go to uh, South, we should go to Africa. Anyway, this Indian pastor calls me and he says, can we connect? Okay, sure. He speaks English. He, he, He puts his father on camera. He goes, my father started the church. I want you to meet him. And I greeted him, and he says, I want you to meet my son. He had a little boy there, and he, he pointed the camera at his little boy. And then he said, Sunday, I'd like you to teach our pastors. They gather together, and I'd like you to teach them. And I said, okay. So he swung the camera around, and the room was full of pastors sitting shoulder to shoulder. And he goes, teach them right now. <laughs> I didn't know what to say, so I thought, I taught him this. I taught him, well, pray, love, invite, and gospel conversation. <laughs> Guys, did you like take Valium before you came today? Mo, the only one going to work today at all? No, I'm just kidding. These guys, I said, well, you know, when you go out, pray for people and find people that don't know the Lord and then, you know, love them and ask God how, you want, how, how he wants you to love them and then, you know, invite them. And when I got all done, I wasn't sure they understood my language, but you know what they said? They did. They did. And I said, well, amen. I think I really helped them. They said, Hallelujah. And said, amen. These four and 20 elders, whenever you find them, you could do a little study. I, I won't do it now. Let me just show you one here. here wherever these four, 24 elders surface, this is the last mention in Revelation of these elders. It's interesting. They're, they're in chapter 5, the, the 24 elders in verse 8. He took the scroll of the four living creatures and the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The 24 elders are falling down and they're praying and they're pouring out the golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. These are the 24 elders. They're in chapter 7. Anyway, this is their last mention here. Why all the rejoicing? Why all the hallelujahs? What's this all about? 
Think about this. It's because they're preparing heaven for Jesus to return to earth. And they're just exploding in a hallelujah chorus. Every being in heaven is gathered around the throne and, and like a rocket on a launching pad, they're, giving, they're saying hallelujah because Jesus is about to come to earth. And in this we have some, I put down five different reasons to rejoice. Title of my sermon, Five Reasons to Rejoice. Let me share these with you. Because when Jesus comes to earth, our salvation, our redemption will be complete on earth. When, when Jesus comes to earth, our redemption will be complete on earth. That's why verse 1 says, And I heard what seemed like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying, Salvation, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God. It's coming to earth. It's about to come to earth. So we rejoice because when Jesus comes, he completes our salvation and redemption. Second, because when Jesus comes, justice will come to the earth. Hey, man, have you been watching the news? Have you been seeing how, how horribly divided our, our precious country is? How deeply angry, how deeply wounded people are because of injustice? Have you seen this? Why are you so quiet? Am I wrong? Have you been done an injustice? I have. I have. Have you ever been guilty of an injustice? I know people who have. I probably have, right? God says, I'm going to take care of that someday. I'm going to bring justice to the earth. By the way, the only time the earth will have justice is when Jesus brings it. Our job is not to try to create a heaven on earth. It's to try to tell people about the one who creates heaven on earth. It's the missionary cause. Let's remember that. It's not social reform. It's in putting the seed of the gospel in the soil of love and of good works. So we're we rejoice because when Jesus comes, salvation is complete. Heaven rejoices because when Jesus comes to earth, salvation will be complete on earth. Because when Jesus comes, justice will come to earth. The Bible says in Acts 17 and verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Acts, Acts 17, there's more of that. Verse 24, I believe it is. I want to read all that to you. Listen to this. Acts 17. The God who, who made the world and everything in it being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, and having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they would seek God and perhaps find, feel their way toward him and find him, yet he's actually not far from each one of us, in whom we live and move and have our being even as some of our own poets have said, for they are indeed, we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. These times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Who is this man by whom he will judge? That's right. Of this he has given assurance by 
raising him from the dead. Who could that be? That's Jesus. Jesus is the judge of the earth. And he's fixed the day. And it, hear it again, verse 31. On the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Now, so, so this was, you, you know, in the preaching, the apostolic preaching, Jesus is going to come judge the earth. There's going to be justice on the earth someday. And there are groups all around the world and back through the history of our nation that have just felt keenly the sting of injustice. And we can't probably appreciate it if we haven't. It's just something that we hear about. This is as current as the newspaper, as the television. Why this injustice that happens? There are bad police officers. There are bad pastors. Not many. Just kidding. There's sin that makes its way into every single human heart. Pockets of injustice. And they hurt people. Jesus says, I know. I'm going to come back and I'm going to take care of that. Flee to the cross and be forgiven. You'll be protected from this. But I'll, he's going to bring justice to the earth. When you were little, did you sing a hallelujah song? In, in, I remember I, it was in kindergarten in Grand Rapids. They had a little song. It was kind of made popular by folk singers back then. Michael Rowe, it was a a Negro spiritual. Michael Rowe, your boat ashore. What's the next word? Hallelujah. We sang it in school. Row your boat ashore. Hallelujah. Why were they singing? Why Why were the slaves singing, Michael Rowe, your boat ashore. Hallelujah. Because they had hope in eternal life through Christ would be the freedom. There was a group of slaves that were freed in the war between the states, a Union army came in, was in the Carolinas, and there was a little island where there were a pocket of slaves, and they were freed up. And a man came, and he worked among them, and he noticed when they would row their boat back and forth to this island, they would sing this spiritual, and they would talk about heaven, and they would talk about Jesus, and they would say the word, hallelujah. That, remember, is our only hope of justice, because when Jesus comes Salvation will be complete on earth and justice will come to the earth. And when Jesus comes, number three, rebellion, all rebellion will end. 1 Corinthians 15 says, then comes the end. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 24 and 25. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. And he will reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. One day, Jesus will silence and rule all of his enemies in heaven and on earth. He'll bring the kingdom to the Father and present it to the Father. This is that time. That's why they're singing in heaven. That ought to put a spring in your step. That ought to put a little joy in your heart. No matter what you see happening on earth, you can lift up your eyes and see the hallelujah chorus in heaven. Because all rebellion will end. I'm on number four. Because when Jesus comes back, we rejoice because when Jesus comes back, he will reign, he will rule, and he will reign on the earth. That's verse six and of 19, where it specifically says this. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why? For the Lord God, omnipotent, almighty, reigns. 
He will rule the earth someday, shoulder the government, and it will be good and right, sweet. Rebellion will end. Salvation will be complete on earth. Justice will come to earth. Rebellion will end on earth. He will reign on the earth. There's a, there'll be a, a thousand year reign and a 2,000 years of prayers praying, your kingdom come, your kingdom come, kingdom will come. And five, because when Jesus comes, we'll be together with the Lord Jesus. Our, long, our great longing for intimacy will be fulfilled in our union with Jesus. So you, you ever notice popular culture puts human love in a really high place? The, almost all the good songs are about human love, as if, if you find somebody and you have that human romance, like that's the apex of human existence. That, you ever notice popular movies are the same way? What's the ultimate thing? It, it, they, maybe, there, maybe there's a rescue or something, but there's, there's almost always a, a romance. The human heart craves romance. We love romance. Even men love romance. They just don't like to admit it. When I was a kid, I read Zane Gray novels. I, I, hate to, I hate to let the cat out of the bag, but for you men that were, were hiding this, but all Zane Gray novels are, are romances with horses and stuff. <laughs> they are romances. Guess what? God's book is a romance. It starts with a romance. It ends with a romance. Romance was God's idea, but not human romance. He knew that would always fail to completely and fully and totally satisfy our longing for intimacy. It's only when we're united with Jesus, the bride and the groom, will we have our heart's longings fully fulfilled. No human husband, you know, dribbling cereal on his t-shirt watching the news at night can fulfill that longing, right? I'm not going to pick on girls here. I'm a smart pastor. I've been at this a while. We're just going to let you think about that. None of us men can be God to our wives. There's one God. It's interesting. In this uh, verse 9, there's a benediction. The angel says, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the fourth of the blessings in Revelation. How many blessings are there in Revelation? How many benedictions are in Revelation? Anybody want to guess? How did you know that? So you're right. Seven. You're right. Seven. A lot of sevens in Revelation. Anybody know how many? I know you're going to say seven, but that would be wrong. No, that's a good guess. There's seven churches. There's seven seals. There's seven spirits of God. There's seven stars, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven vials, seven lampstands, 55 sets of seven in Revelation. Guess how many times it says the Lord God Almighty in Revelation? Seven. Great guess. Guess how many times it says every tribe and tongue and nation in Revelation? Seven. Guess how many times it says the one who sits on the throne in Revelation? Seven. Guess how many times it says Christ in Revelation? Seven. You guys are waiting for a trick question. I can tell. You guys are smart. You're like, uh. Guess how many times it says Jesus in Revelation? Four. What do you say? Fourteen. That's two times seven. Guess how many times it says the lamb in Revelation? Twenty-eight. That's a multiple of seven, right? Um, how many feasts of Israel? There were seven. In verse 9, there's one. 
A feast to celebrate, a feast to remember. God often refers to the kingdom of God as a feast. But there are seven benedictions in Revelation in chapter 1 and verse 3. Those who read and hear and keep the words of the prophecy will be blessed. Blessed. Benediction is a blessing. Chapter 14 and verse 13 is the second blessing, benediction in Revelation. Those who die in the Lord are blessed. Chapter 16 and verse 15, those who stay awake (laughs) will be blessed. Did you hear me? (laughs) Pay attention. Chapter 19 and verse 9, those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Did you get an invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Are you going? Are you going to be there? Are you going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb? You're blessed if you are. That just means you're saved. Then in chapter 20 and verse 6, those who share in the first resurrection. Chapter 22 and verse 7, those who keep the words of the prophecy of this book are blessed. And the seventh blessing is chapter 22, verse 14, those who wash their robes and can eat of the tree of life are blessed. It's just, this thing is full of a sevenfold blessing for everyone who believes and obeys God. Jesus began his ministry at a wedding. His first ceremony in the Bible was a wedding. The last ceremony in the Bible is a wedding. Ephesians chapter 5 says, all marriage is a mere shadow of the ultimate romance of the universe. And that is between the groom and the bride. The bride is the church. The groom is Jesus. What do we do until then? What do we do until Jesus comes back? Well, now you have verse 10. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, and he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers. Hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Hold to the testimony of Jesus. Take the message of Jesus and and repeat the message of Jesus and worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The heart, the essence of God's truth is what Jesus said. Jesus is the center of the universe. What do we do until Jesus returns? We tell everybody that. We invite people to to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We tell them they can have their sins forgiven. We tell them that Jesus died to give them the gift of eternal life. We tell everybody we know. We take the message out of the building, out to where people are working at McDonald's, or people are working at Meyer, or people are teaching in our school. And whether they love us or not, that we recognize that whether they reject us or not, whether they understand us or not, whether they think we're crazy or not, we tell them, hey, have you heard about the big party? Have you heard about the party? Did you get an invitation to the big, you did hear about the party, didn't you? Did you get an invitation to the party? And they're like, no, what party? The party. The party of all parties. It's like heaven and earth party. It's like God's going to throw this party. It's going to be holy and beautiful and wonderful. You can come. Can I, can I invite you to the party? That's what you do. You, when, when we get a vision of Jesus, when we get this picture Fix our mind. When, we, when our hearts beat fast with the hallelujahs for what Jesus is about to do, then that gives us like an eternal vision and it changes the way we serve and the way we spend and the way we spend our time and the things that we do. I started a little group. We started a group together when we were in Flint called the Eternal Vision Ministry Team. And we, had, we recruited young people to come to Flint and, and to help in the end, the Christian ministry that we were involved in and to read great Christian books and biographies, and to go out on the streets and witness, we called the Eternal Vision Ministry Team. We told the kids, we we put together a little brochure, we put a thing online, how would you like to do something that matters forever? 
How'd you like to do something with your life that matters forever? Have an eternal vision. So kids came from all over the country and they joined the eternal vision ministry team. And most of them were 18 or 19 or 20 years old, 22. I had a, I had a guy call me, though, who was probably 60. And he said, me and my wife were in Pennsylvania. We were camping out and we got the brochure. And I was thinking, you weren't supposed to get the brochure. It's for young people. Like he goes, we got the brochure and God's been stirring our hearts and we want to come and join the Eternal Vision Ministry team. <laughs> and he was a veterinarian, Arlen Mills, Arlen and Cheryl Mills, friends, friends of ours, a veterinarian, a very highly trained veterinarian who can make money without even trying. No, I'll take that back. I've seen his work and it's kind of messy. Anyway, he can make a lot of money. He said, we were just camping in the mountains of Pennsylvania, and we saw the Eternal Vision Ministry brochure, and we decided we want to come and help. Is there something we can do? And I'm like, we don't have any animals in downtown Flint here. We don't have any livestock. He goes, no, no. I guess it's just, what do you need? I go, well, what we need, I don't know if you really can do. I, I have a bunch of young men that need supervision every day when they go out and do their ministries, when they do their projects, and when they work on the building. I need an adult that would supervise them. He goes, I'll do that. Here's this highly trained doctor who's a brilliant man and a good man. And he came and he volunteered and he was there for a few years and he busted a sweat every day because he had an eternal vision. We would have him speak at chapel on Monday morning. I'd be out preaching on the weekend and so I'd be kind of tired. And I, I had him do chapel Monday morning. And, and he would, he, I remember the first time he spoke at chapel, it was a little slow going. He was a really good veterinarian and, and not a really a resting speaker. But he did one thing which was interesting. He told a story about his veterinary practice. And that part was sort of interesting. I'm like, wow, that was interesting. And I said to him, Dr. Mills, can I talk to you? And he came off and says, from now on, I said, why don't you take a truth from the Bible and illustrate it with a veterinary story and just make that your thing? Because that's really interesting. And so he took that formula and he would go to chapel and he would take his Bible. He was a godly man, loved the Lord. He would show what the Lord was teaching him, but then he would always illustrate it by telling a story from his veterinary practice. And he became a very popular chapel speaker. I thought, Dr. Mills is speaking this morning. And he was used to help young people and serve the Lord in a very sweet, humble way. And why did he do that? Because he had seen the hallelujah course of heaven. And he wanted to invest in that. You can do that. Have you ever heard of FOMO? You heard of this? FOMO? You heard of this? It's a phobia. Anybody have this? I have, FOMO? You haven't heard of this? I have this problem every once in a while. FOMO, fear of missing out. You walk social media, people are all at neat places, and you're like, oh, I'm missing out. My sons went on vacation with one of my sons-in-law to the Keys, Key West, way out on the end of the Keys, and I, have, I was tracking them on my phone. They didn't invite me. I was tracking them on my phone, and I'd see them way out on the keys. I'm like, look at that. He'd be like a little picture, a little irritating picture. would be out on the end of the keys. It was like three hours from, you know, the tip of Florida. He's out there basking in the sun on vacation. Didn't invite me. And did, did I already say that? Um, and I would look, and there would be his little picture out there. I'd be like, not a problem. I've got reruns of Dateline I can watch. I'm, I'm out of the cold. The heater's working here. I'm, I, the snow is plowed. We're good. 
I don't need to go there. You didn't have to invite me. I found some pizza rolls in the back of the freezer. I'm good. I'm perfectly fine. Doesn't bother me. I'm missing out on you being in the keys. Lois sometimes is on her phone. And she'll, the phone will ring. It'll be one of the kids. You can tell. And she'll go, no. I'll be like, what, what? She'll be like, huh. I'm like, you are kidding me. I'm like, what, what, what? She's like, I'm like, you are not serious. I'm like, put it on speakerphone. What's going on? I want to know. I had a fear of missing out here. That's funny, isn't it? What would happen if, the, if God threw a party in front of the whole world and you missed it or the people you love missed it? That would be such a tragedy, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be funny. Blessed are those who have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are the true words of God. So what do we do? Well, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The essence of what God wants our world to know is what Jesus said. We just go take the truth of what Jesus said and we, and we implant it like a seed in the soil of love and kind deeds for others. Some of you might think, I need a little bit more specific instruction than that. We're all about that here. Come and see me. I'll explain it even better.